Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. John chapter 1. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of John, working chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today we are going to be in John's Gospel, chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 19. The question that we are asking today that we are wrestling down is what is the big deal about Jesus? And John the Baptist, not John the writer, but John the Baptist, he pulls back the veil for us and he reveals what the big deal about Jesus is. But before we do that, before we answer that question, before we take a deep dive into beginning in verse 19, there are two stories that we have to unpack for this story that we're going to look at today for it to make sense. We have to understand the contextual ramifications, what is going on in the culture and in the time in which John the Baptist is ministering and which the time that John, the writer, is writing. And you will find this story in Exodus chapter 12. You don't have to turn there because we don't have time to read it all. So let me try to do a quick brush over or fly by. The Israelites, they are enslaved to the pharaohs. The pharaohs of this oppressive foot on their necks constantly. And God has raised up Moses to be a voice to the Israelites and to Egypt to let his people go and to lead all of Israel into freedom that is promised. But Pharaoh, he is relentless and he is stiff-necked and he is stubborn. So God releases plague after plague. Pharaoh, he will not let God's people go. So God instructs Moses to go before all of Israel. They have yet to become a nation, but they go before them. And he says this, I want you to take a lamb or a goat. I want you to to bring that animal into your home for four days. Why? Hey, moms. You know this. You bring a small animal into your home. The animal is going to have a name. The animal is going to sleep in a, in, a, in a bed. Before long, that animal is going to be wearing their sibling's clothing, right? There was this attachment that took place over the course of that four days. And on that fourth day, the father was required to sacrifice the animal. Why? Because sacrifice always, it always costs something. Faithful obedience, it always requires, it always hurts, it always causes and costs something. If the family was too small that they couldn't eat an entire lamb, then they were to share it with their neighbors. They would take the blood of that lamb and they were to paint over the doorpost. And when the plague was released, For any home that was not marked by the blood of the lamb, the firstborn son was taken from them. 
for 1,400 years. Jewish families, on the fourth day of the 10th month, they, they, would, they would gather around the table. And in the middle of the table, there was a roasted lamb to remember the Passover. <laughs> there was bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. There was salt water that served as a dip to remind them of the tears of Egypt. There was unleavened bread, bread that was made without yeast to remind them of the haste in which they had to flee. They did not even have time to let the bread rise. They were told, don't even take off your shoes. Don't take off your cloak. So for 1,400 years, Jewish families, they would celebrate the Passover meal, remembering God's provision, his presence. Their hearts were also filled with anticipation, with hope that one day God would send another lamb. And this lamb, it would not be an ordinary man. This man, it would be God in the flesh. And he, he would deliver his people from bondage, from slavery of sin He would free his people from guilt, from shame, from condemnation, from eternal damnation, separation from the Father's heart for 1,400 years. And then that's story number one. Story number two we find in Matthew's gospel, chapter three, and Luke, chapter one, five through 25, and 57 through 80. John the baptizer He was born from an elderly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah, he was a priest in the temple. And one day, as he was doing his priestly duties, the angel Gabriel came forth and said, Zechariah, get ready. Your wife is going to be with child. And this son, he's going to be great. And you will call him John. Zechariah said, we've been praying for this for 70 years. What kind of timetable was God on? And much like Sarah, he laughed. And he demanded of God a, a sign. Be careful. When God tells you to do something, you demand a sign. So Gabriel says, you want a sign? I'm going to take your voice from you. And he couldn't speak. And Elizabeth became pregnant. And she gave birth to a son. And she called it John. But John was a name in their, their lineage. That was a naming a child. That was a big deal. So the elders asked Zechariah, hey, what do you want to call this child? 
So he said, he wrote it down. He will be called John. And he instantly got his voice back. And this John, he was special. Nobody had seen anybody like this John. He wore camel skins for clothing. Camel skins are cheap. They're rough. They're not really good for anything, especially that as for clothing. And John, <laughs> he ate locusts and wild honey, and of course he did, because if you're going to eat locusts, you need some ketchup to dip it in, right? He never cut his hair, so he didn't have a, he didn't have a male bun. He had like a male bakery going on up there, and he, he, didn't, bathe, he didn't drink strong drink, no wine. He took a vow. And he preached a message that was not seeker-friendly. So people would invite their friends, hey, there's this man out in the wilderness. They say he's like no other. They say that he's great. Let's go listen to what he has to say. And as they approached from the horizon, they heard the words of John, you all are a bunch of snakes. Fleeing the wrath of hell. You think the problem is with the government? The problem's not the government. The problem is you. You're the problem. Let's go home. Their guest services stinks around here. But John, he, he did not represent organized religion where people had to wear their best and look a certain way and talk churchy and say all the right things and, and that the, the priest had to meet their preferences so they'd continue to show up. John carried a message, repent, for the kingdom has come. Here, now, I'm just a voice. I'm just a testimony in the wilderness. I'm just one voice, but I'm going to use my voice. I'm going to prepare the way. And John was inviting them to engage in a racist baptism. You see, in this culture, in this context, there were the Jews. And then there were the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So baptism, that was for the Gentiles, the second class. You're not going to be a Jew, but at least you can acknowledge it. So come, be clean. We will baptize you into Judaism. But John's message, he's inviting the Jews to come into the dirty, murky waters and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. This was unorthodox. This was unheard of. This was that voice. Story number two. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 1, verse 19, some of you were thinking, I thought he was going to close in prayer. Is that just the introduction? Welcome to Mount Zion. Just in case you missed it to catch you up, last week we were in chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, and 
what we discovered is Jesus is the eternal word, the creator of all things, that he put on flesh so that men and women could become children of God. John says it this way in chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word is eternal, the creator of everything. Jesus is the source of life, and God became flesh, and he walked among us. The question that we're answering today that John is revealing is, what Jesus do we really need? And I would say this, what Jesus do we need most? John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. You ready? Here we go. And this is the testimony. Circle, highlight, underline the word testimony. And beside it, write 14 times. John is going to, John the writer is going to give us John the baptizer's testimony over 14 times. It matters. It matters a lot. This is the testimony of John. Now, notice that he doesn't say this is the testimony of John the Baptist. Why? Because John was famous. His reputation was infamous. We all have characters and people in our lives like this. Like even if you don't love basketball, even if you don't follow basketball, even if you know nothing about basketball, if I said to you, so Michael Jordan, you'd be like, oh yeah, I know him. I don't have to say, Michael Jordan was a basketball player in the 90s. He played for the Chicago Bulls. He came out of Carolina University. No, I don't have to say any of that. You know who, who Michael Jordan is. And that's how it was with John the Baptist. People just knew why. How did they know? Because John, he stood up in opposition to the impression that he was experiencing in that culture. He was not politically correct. If he saw injustice, he spoke to it. If he saw immorality, he spoke against it. Eventually, this would cost him his life because Herod, the ruler, the authority of that time, he married his brother's wife, that's right, his sister-in-law, who coincidentally was also his niece. That's how jacked up this place was. John the Baptist, he spoke against it. So Herod had him arrested. And during the celebration, a party, he had John the Baptist's head cut off, removed from his shoulders, and placed on a platter so that all could see. Continuing to read. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what the rumors were. And they asked him, what, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I, I am not Elijah. Are you a prophet? I am not a prophet. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. So what do you say about yourself? Verse 23, don't miss this, lean in. Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as the prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Isaiah says this, he is prophesying about a man who will come who will fulfill this prophecy. He says this, a voice cries 
in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Verse 24, now they had been sent by the Pharisees. They had been sent by the temple priests because they're hearing like people aren't showing up for our sermons anymore. Where are they at? They're out in the wilderness. Why are they in the wilderness? There's a man, goes by the name John. He's out there. He's preaching. What's his message? You're a bunch of snakes. Be baptized. Well, that won't last long. The crowd's just growing. They're confused by this. Verse 25, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Malachi chapter four, verses five through six says this, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. End of Old Testament. 400 years of silence follows Malachi's words. So what they're asking is God stepping back up to the mic. Are you that that Malachi spoke of? Verse 26, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. What he is saying in this, this moment is he's speaking of humility. You see, every rabbi would have a student, but there were lines that could not be crossed in the demands placed on that student. And such a demand was this, you do not have to untie your master's or the rabbi or your teacher's sandals. That's beneath you. That is the work of a servant or a slave. So a student doesn't have to do that. And what John is saying is I have to become less so that Christ can become more. He is placing himself, he is seating himself and filling himself with humility so that Christ can become most in his life. He is echoing this word of surrender, of service in this moment. Verse 28 these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, don't miss this. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. And this is what he said. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For 1,400 years, they celebrated the the feast of the Passover, placing a lamb at the center of the table, pleading, begging God to send the lamb. And John is saying, don't miss it. There he is. The one that you've waited for, the one that you've longed for, the one that you have pleaded for, the one that you have begged for. Don't miss Jesus. You can show up at church every stinking Sunday 
and you can know the words of every song that is sung from this platform, and you can raise your hands, and you can give, and you can serve, and you can be discipled, but you can still miss Jesus. You can look the right way, you can act the right way, you can have all the right answers, and still miss Jesus. What John is saying in this moment is wake up, wake up from your slumber. He is here, he has come. The promise fulfilled in flesh. Do not miss him. Verse 30, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now, John the Baptist, he's six months older than Jesus. He's echoing this co-eternal, this Trinitarian doctrine in this moment that before time Jesus was, the word was. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for the purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. That is your purpose. That is God's plan. If you're trying to figure out what is my life all about, what am I supposed to do, you've been given a voice, and you are to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit, speaking of Jesus' baptism, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, and I have seen and I have borne witness to that that he is the Son of God. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, defining and articulating and delineating Jesus' baptism says in verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up from out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened up and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and who I am well pleased. Each and every one of us in this room, we have been given a voice. Who is Jesus to you? What is the most important thing about Jesus? For some of us, the way that we miss Jesus, the intention, the purpose of Jesus, is that we have simply made Jesus a teacher. And I am thankful that there has never been a teacher like Jesus. But in my life, what I need most is not more resources, I don't, I don't need another book or more DVDs on how to be a better husband or father or leader. I need that, but I don't need that the most. I don't need simply a master example. I'm thankful for that. But there's something that I need more than an example for many in this room, we need a healer. 
But there's something more than you need than just healing. Jesus will never ignore the eternal just simply to address the temporary. But we need it, and that's important. We should pray for that. We should honor that, and we should celebrate it because Jesus is a healer. We don't need another religion of how to look and how to behave and what to do. Do you know the Jesus that we really need more than anything? We need a redeemer. And that is what John the Baptist is saying in this moment. Behold, the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of his children. And when we receive that, and when we believe that, when we become redeemed, we are given a voice, a testimony. And although we oftentimes feel much like John that we are standing in a wilderness and we are one lone voice, it is still our voice to steward. Do you know what the problem with a voice, having a voice is? is that oftentimes a voice produces a platform. And a platform can have you think more of yourself than it intends. And we can think to ourselves, look at our affluence, look at our influence, look at what we have accomplished, look what the good that we are doing, and look at all them other people. And that is where John would say, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. You see, the way that we combat pride is with humility. And the way that we continue to advance our influence and affluence is for the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God alone. Another problem with having a voice is we can believe that we actually need a platform. God has positioned you in this season, in this time, in this moment within your circle of friends, within that ball team, within that place of work, he has intentionally, through his sovereign will, he has placed you there and he has redeemed you. Therefore, he has given you a voice for you to steward. And how are we doing with that? What do you talk about when you gather among friends and family? One day, the clouds will part, the trumpet will sound, and Christ will return, and he will claim all that is his. Or you will breathe your last breath, and you will stand either way before a God of judgment. And there are two questions that you will have to answer that will be required of you. Are you redeemed? Is Christ Lord did you see him? Did you believe in him? The second question for those of us who answer, yeah, I've been redeemed. Then you've been given a voice. Time, talent, treasure, tongue. Did you faithfully, out of faithful obedience, 
did you steward that that I blessed you with as a message? Behold. There, there's Jesus. So everything I do, the way that I manage my finances, the way that I treat my children and my spouse, the way that I work, show up every day, the way that I grieve, the way that I deal with disappointment, the way that I address conflict, Everything I do echoes the words of John. Why do you do what you do? Why did Ben and Miriam say yes? Because every decision we make should say, because behold. (laughs) Behold the Lamb of God. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father God, thank you for grace. God, thank you for being the master teacher. God, thank you for being a wonderful example. God, thank you for being the ultimate healer. God, thank you for being the reestablishing, the dismantling of, of religion and the establishing of relationship. But God, thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for salvation. And God, this day, if there is anyone within the sound of my voice that have yet to confess you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of their redemption. May today be the day of their salvation. May today be the day that they believe. So for those, God, may you reveal that that is in them that is not of you. And may they see it. May they grieve it. May they confess it. And may they repent of it. And God, may they believe that you are Lord and Savior. Father, for us that have been redeemed and we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, Father, would you bring to our attention this moment that that you are asking us to sacrifice, that that you are asking us to say yes to and those things that you are requiring to us to say no to so that our lives can be lived out in faithful obedience. God, for that that is in us that is not of you, we ruthlessly this morning commit to lives of eliminating that so that our entire being, our entire testimony, our entire voice will be that of behold, the Lamb of God has come and he has taken away the sins of a nation. God, may we with hope and with expectancy look towards the homecoming that is promised. And on that day, 
every tear will be wiped away. Every disease will be cast aside. There will be no more grief. There will be no more longing. There will be no more striving. There will be no more battling. And we will be in that moment as it was always intended to be. But in the meantime, in the waiting, may we be found just a voice in the wilderness proclaiming your goodness, your promise, your provision. Oh, what a homecoming that'll be. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, would you stand to your feet as we worship together? Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.